Welcome to Improv Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. I interviewed 24 different improvisers and then edited together chunks of those interviews to investigate different aspects of improv one piece at a time. This is episode two, Game, Playing the Game. previous episode, we talked about how to establish a game, framing a game so everyone in the scene agrees on what the game is, and then justifying the game so it feels real and playable. This episode is about the rest of the scene. You've set a game with your scene partner, now it's time to play it. First up, Alex Dixon talks about how she first started to understand game. We had been talking about how she had originally trained in Chicago and, as an actor, how she viewed framing and justification in terms of believable characters. I think in Chicago, I didn't know what those words were at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, and I also was like a socially anxious 23-year-old. So a lot of it is a blur. Right. Um, But I do remember having shows in Chicago where I knew they didn't go. I remember thinking like, oh, maybe I've reached the point where like I can't do this anymore Mm because I don't. I don't know what's fun. Like, I just, I felt like I ran out of stuff. Yeah. And I do think that UCB helped me to, like, be able to, like, uh, die, like, leave a scene and be like, well, yeah, of course that scene was tough because I didn't have a, I didn't have a point of view about that. Or, like, I hated everyone in my scene. That's terrible. Or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Um, Whereas in Chicago, I don't think I had that vocabulary. So at UCB, I think, I do think I probably, um, when I started taking classes here, that piece made sense to me. I didn't have to sure. think too much about it, probably because of acting school. Yeah. Because I don't, I, there are certain things that I definitely remember struggling with, and I don't remember struggling with if this is true, what else is true, or or maybe justification, because they kind yeah. of go together. Yes. And I think that probably is just like character work from acting school, but I didn't, I didn't think about it until yeah. you just said that. <laughs> uh, for me, it was like learning that basic thing of, of game of just like once they said like this is game this is this is what we're going to do it was like that clicked for me of, mm-hmm. oh this is what I've already been trying to do and I just didn't have that vocabulary yeah for it. that's what I always say to people I'm like you can take classes at like any improv theater no one else is saying the word game but every good improv scene at any theater is playing mm-hmm. game because when I think back to like my final level at Second City I because Second City is like we're doing improv to create sketch final level of the conservatory is just going to class and doing improv sets Mm -hmm. and then our teacher slash director at that point going cool uh here's what was really fun about that is Mm -hmm. the way he'd say it and then he'd be like let's do it again but like hit that stuff harder right and i remember thinking oh my god he's so brilliant like i I wouldn't have never... Like, I remember doing a scene and thinking it was a terrible scene. Yeah. And then he was like, here's what was fun about that scene. Now let's do it. And I remember just being like, I can't believe he could isolate that. That's amazing. He was just saying this was the game of that scene, right. but he didn't use that word. Yeah. So then when I started taking classes here, I was like, what's game? I don't understand. And then I remember it and I was like, oh, I've been playing it. Now I'm just learning how to like be like that Yeah. Thing. We're doing it right now. <laughs> that label yeah. of what was the fun thing, I feel like a lot of us use that anyways when we talk about game. Just because right. that's so especially with any level where they're like more hesitant about game or yeah, just like they, no, you say you, game and they're like, Ugh. But then it is, it's just, oh, you did that thing, it was fun. Right. Keep doing that fun thing. Right. Yeah. I do think saying game like people just freeze. I didn't mm-hmm. I did. But so, yeah, I try to say, like, what was the fun thing? Or what was the thing that you were doing? You did it a few times yeah. because you thought it was fun. And they were like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. It's so heady. 
and then not heady at all. Yeah. Um, I always say that. I'm like, improv's so easy, and it's impossible. <laughs> There is that level you mentioned with the like with the Chicago thing of where it feels like I can't go any farther. And I feel like so much of it is just like we hit our natural kind of ending point and then we need those tools to like push past that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for me it was much more the acting side of like, oh, I can't I can't think any faster. I can't be any funnier. <laughs> I've gotten as far as I can with mm-hmm. that. Great. Now I need to keep stealing from all these teachers and from UCB classes. Yeah, and like dig into the the emotion and the character more. Yeah. And I think too, like the fun, the thing for me about doing that is that then I feel like when that happens, you get to do that fun thing where you surprise yourself. (laughs) Cause if you're really like, if you're really playing a character that's pissed Mm -hmm. and you're just letting stuff come out of your mouth, you're definitely surprising your scene partner, but you're surprising yourself with like, Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that I was going to say that. And then it suddenly becomes more fun because you're not, writing the scene, which is what I thought when I first started taking UCB. I skipped 101 because I did IO in Chicago. So I started at 201, and they were talking about game like I was supposed to, which is, it's sort of crazy to me that they let me skip 101 because I'm like, do you guys know what the class is? I don't know what these words are. And I remember thinking, oh, I guess I can't improvise in New York because I don't know what's going on. I really was like, oh, you have to be a sketch writer. And I remember I went up to Ryan Carl's after a class once, and I was like, so premise-based improv means that you know the scene before you do it? And he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you're on the back line and you know the whole scene and you have to... And he was like, no, it's just improv. And I was like, no, it's not. It made no sense to me. Right. Um, but then I got over it. But like, I remember at first just being like, oh, this isn't fun because it's not surprising you know what it yeah. is. But I think that that's just 201 is that's kind of the place you have to go and then get out of it. Yeah. But it scared me. <laughs> and I think a lot of people at that level do have that feeling of like, oh, I need to come in with everything mm-hmm. with a premise other than just like, no, I need to have the premise. Right. And then we build it together. I just need the initiation yeah. to be pretty clear. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And then after that, well, we're everything's invented past that. So. Right. That was Alex Dixon. Now here's Lydia Hensler. We'd been talking about the pitfalls people fall into when they're learning game. And then when I think when people get game and they're like, oh, I get it. The biggest thing I find is just not resting it. So yeah. that, And the thing I always say about that is it feels like there's um, when that happens, you might do a perfectly mathematical like version of uh, heightening Mm -hmm. but the resting is where I feel like a lot of the exploration comes from and it's really important to have that explore and heighten because then it feels like your three game moves actually only feel like one game move because they happen right on top of each other so we didn't get away from it and also the audience is probably ahead of you by the time you get to the third one there was it was like an interview that like I think Roger Ebert did with Miyazaki who did like Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke and like all these like Uh, anime movies Mm -hmm. and he talked about how Ebert was like I love the pacing of your movies and he said well it's like a clap the sound of a clap isn't the smack of your hands it's everything leading up to it and I try to build in that pause of hands going apart and then back together into my movies and games sometimes feels like that of like oh it was just yeah and you needed that like and then clap you gotta rest and it's so fun too because I feel like the scenes that are always the most fun are when you're like surprising yourself even mm-hmm. of how you're getting back to the game because once you know game you know that that like that's sort of your mission for the rest exactly. of the scene is like oh I'm going to keep exploring and heightening this funny thing so if I like really allow myself to get away where I'm resting mm-hmm. it I always have one eye on the game so like 
I'm always looking for my way back. So it's right. so fun to find like how I shoehorn myself or yeah. like wind my way back. And then you get to like have this whole other thing that you're doing. And make those moves that n- uh, wouldn't have happened if it were that textbook. Yeah. Game move one, game move two, game move three. And, and that's edit. like the magic of improv, right? Like I remember somebody saying, uh, Maybe it was Eugene Cordero. I think he was coaching us. He was talking a lot about um, playing lava. Like, I think we use that a lot. Like, when you're little kids and you throw all the um, couch cushions on the floor and you're like, the floor is lava. And you jump on uh, couch Mm -hmm. cushions and you believe it so hard. And his, he would bring that up for like, um, he would talk about that in terms of commitment, like committing so hard, like really believing it. Um, But I think what's really fun is that uh, when we're talking about discovery and stuff, is like when you, when you buy into something, things so hard and you're like oh then it's uh you'll surprise yourself yeah and then yeah and then that's the magical part like I remember him saying uh like just do the thing and it's like oh well you're if your head is writing the scene you can't see how you'll get to the end if you go do that weird thing but if you do that weird thing like that's improv he's like oh what do you have to do you're gonna improvise you don't know right it's like we can't keep creating safety nets for ourselves right and I think the safety net is that we know how to play games. So then go be brave and do weird things and see what happens. That was Lydia Hensler. Now, Lydia mentioned safety nets. And on the previous episode, Sebastian referred to a similar concept as adding tape to his basketball hoop. Basically, don't be precious about the scene. Don't play it safe. Here's more from Sebastian Canelli. And I also think that, so I talked about base reality uh, instantly, but I think base reality could be fun. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't have fun with base reality. In the beginning, I get like you're trying to learn how to do the work. You're trying to throw throw down up. Here's the who, what, where. But after a while, like if I'm going to play a little kid and that's going to be the normal part of the scene, I'm going to make the little kid specific and I'm going to have fun being a little kid because I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> like, like I don't get to be a little kid every day. I don't get to be a teacher. So I'm going to like uh, try to play that as specifically and embody that character. Mm-hmm. So everyone in my mind is a, a, like a character in a way. Watching you, that becomes very apparent that even when you're a background character, it's always a specific character. Yeah, and I've had to adjust and reel that in to make sure that it's a, a normal specific character. Right. Right? But in my mind, there's no reason why you can't be getting laughs on base reality, too. Yeah. Especially if you're advanced level. Like, right. there's no reason why you shouldn't be getting laughs because I also think that you, like, if the unusual thing is happening a bunch, you usually get a big laugh when you return to the base reality because you're reminding the audience why that is so funny, what's happening. Yeah. Because I find a lot of times people only play the unusual thing. They find it and that's all they ever play, right? Um, and so then all of a sudden, if all you see is the unusual thing and no base reality, we forget why that thing yeah. was unusual to begin with. So I always like to go back and forth between the base yeah. reality and the unusual thing. And I think I've talked about – oh, no one knows what I talked about before. <laughs> but, yeah, they um, need to feel that pendulum swing yes. of we, we had that weird thing. Now let's go back. Yes. You don't feel how hot it is outside until you walk inside and you feel that air conditioning. Of and then course. Like, Great. Now let's go back outside. Of course. And um, so I heard like the saying once that like a drama or a play or like a dramatic movie, it takes the whole movie for the character to change. But in a comedy, uh, the character changes 10 times in one scene. Right. Right. They go back and forth and they, they're very forgetful of what just happens. They, they constantly are making the same mistakes over and over again. Right. right? And I think that we should, like, get over stuff fast in scenes, right? If we get upset that something happened in a scene, get over it so we could go back to a normal, like, emotional level so we could get upset again. It's like when you press a button, the only way to press a button again 
is to let go of a button. Yeah, you can't keep pushing harder into no. the elevator wall. <laughs> and that, so that's the only way to actually press a button. And I think letting go of the button is like playing a base reality. And I also like base reality because if we it's clear and we really frame the game and we like understand why the person's doing this unusual behavior, when we go back to base reality, we could have no idea where the next game move is going to come from. Yeah. So the first time an unusual thing happens in the scene, the audience gets so excited because this is the magic of improv that they get to share that moment with you, right? The unusual thing happened on stage, you guys experience, and they experience it at the same exact time. That's what I think makes that moment so magical. And then I think... Oh, we want to recreate that moment in scenes. And how to do that is to go blindly, like to go just straight into the base reality, not knowing where the next move is going to come from, but having a clear philosophy so that we know we're going to find it when yeah. it hits us, right? I want, just like in the first move, I want the second move to hit us, yeah. right? And that can only uh, happen by leaving it behind to find it again. Because when we find it again organically like that, the audience experiences that same discovery that you do. And I think that's... Part of the biggest magic of improv is discovering it with the audience as it's happening. Yeah, a lot of people will try to write the next move. Oh, I know now that I finished this move, let me set something up to hit that next move. Yes. And you can feel it. It yes. feels unnatural. Yeah, I always am just like, oh, just think about who you are in the scene. Great. Yeah. You as a, like the voice of reason in the scene, you have a job that you want to get done in the scene. Do that, right? You're trying to get breakfast? Finish making breakfast, right? Put right. breakfast on the table, right? Uh, do, do the next thing that you have to do, right? Start packing your bag for school, right? Because in that sense, then we don't know how it's going to hit next. And it also takes a lot of pressure off the people to be funny. All we have to do is like be real in mm-hmm. a moment or be honest to what the base reality is. That was Sebastian Canelli, and Sebastian presented the parts that are often called resting the game instead as returning to base reality. It gives the scene time to breathe. You're returning to reality so we can find a new surprising move. As Devin Ritchie explains here, the voice of reason in a scene can often end up in charge of establishing that base reality. I love straight manning like crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm like in the Aaron Jackson school of straight manning where like, screaming but like also the, you're the person like speaking to the best interest of the audience and the the base reality of the scene as we know it yes you're a-okay with being like don't put snakes on my baby yeah. you know and not being like hmm that is weird that you would put snakes but i guess like that's kind of yeah. how it used to be like tells us to straight man at first where it's like let it happen do yeah. this and i'm like that is a good tool to use in 301 that sure. is a great tool to learn sure. and then eventually we can like ease off on it and start yes. reacting like yourself a little more yeah you know which is where like the very fun when somebody is that voice of reason it's when they're the voice of reason as themselves oh yeah they get so many more laughs than the person who's playing the game yeah i feel like that was like a big like watershed moment for me that like i was just like oh my god that's how i would react and yeah. i said it like that and it got like a big laugh yeah and i, and I love playing with the team that i can straight man so hard and shut their game down Mm -hmm. you know and just being like i'm literally physically taking away these things we're doing this get in the car we're doing and they're like how are we gonna play with that i'm like then you'll figure it out yes like i'm like the best improvisers will figure out how to start a fire in the back of my car you know like whatever it is like i can't stop you know i've been like 
you know, kidnapped and tied up and like duct taped over my mouth and I've still got to find a way to play my game. And I love that challenge. It, <laughs> it is like it's it's a challenge that I uh, I think less confident improvisers don't give each other as much of like, oh, I'm just going to set you up for the next move. It's like I, I love when the voice of reason instead takes away the move that you know they were going for yeah. and puts them uh, like puts them on their toes a little bit of like, oh, I got to figure out the new thing. And so you got to be careful of the jams because of that, because like I can't shut people down that hard because the student will just be like oh exactly okay never mind i'm like no 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 do it do it we really want you to do it and you'd be like don't ever do that and it's telling you to do it yeah so you kind of got to be careful sometimes so like really there you got to kind of like a straight man with a soft touch where i'm like so this is crazy yeah (laughs) um and sometimes then redo that thing of like remember two lines ago that thing Mm -hmm. i loved that indicate very hard um and it's really fun and like us jam leaders like fuck with each other too and like really play with each other uh and it's so good when like students are good enough to like really challenge you and like i'm like oh you're getting good That was Devin Ritchie. So Devin got at some big ways of framing the game as the voice of reason character. You can do it through emotional reactions or simply by reacting as yourself, by pointing out directly what you think is funny about the scene. But past just framing, that idea that a voice of reason should be taking away that safety net is important. The job of the other character in the scene isn't just to set up the weird person to make more moves. Once the game is set and framed, once you've done that work, then the voice of reason should force the other person in the scene to make surprising game moves. Surprising for her, surprising for the audience, surprising moves. Not just the standard, okay, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, boom, we've written the scene. The voice of reason is still an important character in the scene, as Chris Scott and I talk about next. One of my favorite things as a coach, because I coach a lot of new teams, yeah. young improvisers, 301, 401. They maybe just start understanding the Herald, and I'm like, let's do a LaRod. Right. I get to be the first one to do a LaRod, so I'm probably like telling them wrong. Also. Sure. But it's like so fun watching young improvisers who just start doing it, who just start understanding game, and then realize like, character can do two things right can do more than two things i mean you can do both at the same time yeah one just becomes a little subservient to the rest of the scene maybe yeah ah it's so fun i use the simpsons a lot as an example for that yes oh okay we know homer's game in every scene he isn't aggressively being dumb if it's instead we need to play bart's game or lisa's game or whatever right he can still be dumb in his reaction to that right but we're it's dealing still with that. Yeah, that. we're dealing with the, the, the focuses on that other thing. Mm-hmm. I do, did it last night, a Laurent mono scene where the rule is they're all roommates. And in the first scene, one of them has to have a problem with the other roommate. Mm-hmm. And treat it like a roommate problem. Treat it like you're not doing your dishes. But it has to be absurd and weird. Right. Um, so like, hey, I know our rooms are private spaces and so forth. But that black hole you have in your room, it's really disturbing the rest of the apartment. Right. You know, but treat it in that more, like, don't treat the group like it's really a black hole because, well, it's no scene. Uh, don't get in a panic, but treat it as if it's like a messy room or a pet or whatever. That's the filter you're doing it. Third person, they deal with that. Third person comes on. The person who was accused of the problem leaves. The new person then gives the person who had the problem with the other person. Mm-hmm. The thing they're upset. I have a problem with now you. Yeah. So everybody is in that thing, Mm -hmm. the wrong thing. Everyone's being gifted with a weird thing they do 
right. in the apartment. And then when they start playing with it, and it's funny how naturally they will do a thing where if one person has a problem with the black hole, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the rest of they tend to default. The rest of the people are totally chill about it, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Because I feel like that's an always sunny thing where they yes. trade straight man back and forth and they'll yeah. be okay with something or not okay with something. Because even Charlie, who is such a crazy character, yeah. or for, even Frank, will call other people out yes. for their weird, yeah. insane things. One moment to the next. Yes. Um, I love the openings. Like the openings of every... Yeah. Is someone present weird plan. Mm-hmm. Everyone else says that's stupid. Yep. But their goal is the same. Yes. Get more people to the bar or whatever. And they'll take some base part of that and then put their spin on it. And then they go off. And maybe they'll team up with somebody. Exactly. So but inevitably, if they team up with somebody, they have different opinions later. Right. Yeah. Uh, and do crazy things. And just in the name of like, huh, your characters are not only your game. Yeah. The, I think it's Mulaney's phrase, the like voice of reason rather than straight man, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it like, it changes it rather than, A, it takes out the whole straight and man. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also it just, it makes it not that like, oh, this person is always going to be that. They're always yeah. going to be the wet blanket. It's that, no, we can all be the voice of reason at some point. Right. And yeah, if you have this roommate wrote uh, Laurent type thing. Right. Each person can respond with, like, this is my problem with a black hole. Oh, I don't have that problem with a black right. hole. I have a problem with your whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because one of the way I'm also treating it, because I'm trying to get them to have treat them like real, play them like mm-hmm. normal problems. What often happens also is the person accusing ends up having, for some reason, they have to justify their, they end up sometimes having as right. weird games for the reason they dislike it. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think the whole, like, just being a voice of reason easily falls to the wayside of, like, uh, no, somebody needs to tell the audience what's so funny yeah, about this. Yeah. Take that break. I know you already know what's funny about right. it because you're a comedian or right. you want to be. Right. The audience right. might not be unless right. you're a triple crown, in which case they're whatever. Right. Like, yeah, a team can be totally on board and know it's funny and play in such a way that they don't ever voice reason everybody else because it's mm-hmm. so clear. But those are usually very good improvisers. Who can do that? Where they both realize it's one of this. Yeah. I will often watch people play a behavior or a thing, and they know it's funny, or they know it started funny, but because no one specifically says what it is, right? they either play it in different ways or drop it, because no one's mm-hmm. just stating it, taking two seconds yeah. to say, some people might think it's weird that we do this. Mm-hmm. And then they'll say, they, some people might, we don't. Yep. All right, now you're doing it. Great. Um, but they'll get like... So often, and again, like uh, making it clear what your game is. Yep. They know it's funny, they but no, funny. somebody else That's... doesn't give them that gift of right. this is what was funny about, about it. it. Right. I feel like especially in for, for me, I end up doing the kind of like tapping around of like, yeah. I know I got a sound here. Right. Let me keep tapping around right. the wall right. and see when I maybe, oh, it's right. getting worse. Oh, no, I'm going in the wrong direction. Right. Oh, crap. That's people being a little too polite. Yeah. With each other. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh. That was a funny thing. I don't want to step on your toes to do it. Uh, but it's funny also, like, afterwards, I'm like, all right, you had that idea. Everyone laughed at it. The thing was said, everyone laughed at it. Why? Right. They'll go, uh, I'm like, you, you talk it out. I know sometimes it's hard to put into words. Mm-hmm. But you laughed for a reason. What struck you as funny about it? Right. And they'll go like, well, it was this and this. Great. Why the hell did you do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, one team that I coached for for a while, this team Halfpenny, got very used to me saying, "Just do that." Yeah, just do that. You knew that was funny. Just do that. Like, why? Oh, you were doing all this other stuff. You knew that was the funny right. thing. Right. We laughed. You laughed. Right. It was funny. It was great. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, and there's resting. There's rest in the game. Yeah. But first, do it for a while. Do it a little bit so you know what it is. Yeah. Find when you get a little sick of it, walk yeah. away from it. Unless you're hitting it so hard. Sure. Sometimes you hit. You can hit it so hard and it'll just work. Do anything else for even a half a second. Yeah. And then come right back to it. Yeah. Even the like resting a game. I think like I wish it, like I it's like the uh, game just needs a breath in. Yeah. You just yeah, need a breathing space a and breath. then go yes. right back. Yeah. Resting the game sounds like you're putting it down and walking exactly. away entirely. It's like, yeah, just inhale, realize where you are, find one thing. Even like, I mean, I think Nicole Dressel uses the go sort mail. You know, go, oh, yeah, go yeah. do something, whatever, go do one thing. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to set up the next return to it, whatever. Either either you will discover something in the new thing you're doing that fits, that brings you right back to it. Or if that doesn't happen, just have someone bring it up again. Yeah. <laughs> just bring it right back up. Yeah. Give the, and give the audience one second to forget. Because audiences are really stupid. Yes. And they laugh whenever something comes up again. We like patterns. We like patterns. We love it. We yeah. love patterns. We love expecting patterns. Mm-hmm. We love it when we expect something and then it doesn't happen. And then it does. Great. It's, Great. it's the best. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so, it's so funny what we laugh at. I have this thing where, when I, I don't tech anymore because it drives me crazy. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll be teching a group and they'll hit that. Uh, that seventh scene that has no connection to anything else and it's going on for four minutes and I know I have to black them out. Uh-huh. And I'm like, mention one character's name from a previous scene. Yeah. And the audience will laugh enough that I can black you out. If you call one person Bob because it was mentioned in the first scene, I guarantee mm-hmm. you, regardless if it makes any sense whatsoever, people will laugh. Yeah. Comedy's not hard. Not always. <laughs> I mean, there's hard parts too. Hard yeah, a lot it, of it yeah, just really is just like, yeah. Yeah, just do that thing. Aren't you glad I didn't say banana? Yeah, exactly. Really, that's... Yeah. That was Chris Scott. Sometimes we play games so tenaciously that we forget that audiences love patterns, especially in second beats. We can often hit many of those same parts of the first beat, but, and this is going to sound a little dumb, faster, louder, and more committed. I mean, that's not all second beats are, of course, but they often can be that simple. Audiences love patterns. Every once in a while, give them what they love. Again, Chris brought up framing, which isn't too surprising. A lot of the people in this podcast coach or teach improv a lot, which is why framing keeps coming up in discussions of game. The most common pitfall for improvisers of any level is not communicating with that other person. Here's Lou Gonzalez, who had taken Sketch 101 at UCB before he took improv. I guess, what was your introduction to game? Because you, if you going through Sketch, I feel like it would be very different. It, it was easy. It was easier for me to pick it up during Sketch than in improv. I strongly suggest anyone who who takes any improv classes to take a Sketch class or work on writing sketches, because. It was so easy for me. I mean, uh, again, just in terms of just like pinpointing what I thought was a game starting, I couldn't imagine what it was me trying to figure out what game is and then enacting it in an improv class without having to sketch classes talking about game because game was in was brought up right. in one in one on one and sketch. So just breaking apart into that piece of like, oh, now you're solely doing this rather than, yeah, doing this plus acting it, plus heightening it, plus... Yeah, I mean, to me, it was like, oh, what's funny? Yeah. Okay, let's just keep doing what's funny. Um, And I think everyone everyone tries to find different ways to 
bring it up. But at the end of the day, our job is to make people laugh. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, then you need to figure out a way to do that. Because all this intellectualizing is helping no one. Right. <laughs> you are creating amazing your mind right. by doing that. And it's very easy for me to say this now, you know, like yeah. doing this so long. But it's true. Like, the reason why Mannequin Room worked was because we were trying to make each other laugh. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't necessarily play game when we first started. And Kate Riley was like, what the hell, the hell right. is this? Um, and she would drill game hard. And I'll say Kate's probably one of the best game teachers. So we were kind of lucked out yeah. with her. We became decent enough in game where we can be like, okay, well, this is kind of a game. But I don't think people talked about how good of a game we played when sure, they talked yeah. about us. I hope they just said that we were funny. <laughs> I would much prefer that. Oh, they really, you know, they really, like, picked up a game and really played it hard. I'm like, listen, we're not trying to teach anyone anything. Yeah. Saying a team plays game well is kind of like looking at a piece of art and saying, like, oh, yeah, they're, go they're good at drawing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, that should be true. Yeah. But that's like the base part. And yeah, we want the laughter. We want all the, that stuff on top that we really react to. And it's it's just, it's a matter of figuring out your voice. I think a lot of people who take classes have an agenda and they don't see the forest beyond the trees. Mm -hmm. They're just like, uh, I want to get good at this thing. And so your focus is to get good. And so therefore you're going to be harder on yourself. That was Lou Gonzalez. Now, as Lou mentioned, game is incredibly important to a scene, but it's not the only thing to a scene. Here's Lydia Hensler again. This picks up right from where we left off a little bit ago. She had just referred to knowing how to play game as a safety net that we can rely too hard on. And especially at that point where it is, oh, I think I need to do the right thing because I'm in class and I want to get to advanced right. or I'm in advanced and I want to get on Lloyd. Or yeah. I'm Lloyd. It's like that feeling of I must do it right and it chokes it to death. Yeah, and I think I we all do that, like operate from a place of fear, especially when learning a new mm -hmm. thing. Or, or I just know myself, like the way I'm built was like I always want to do the right thing. And yeah. like, I just like too honest and too like, is this okay? And and I, I remember in a Bastion rehearsal once, uh, me asking, I was asking Will a question. Will Hines was our coach at one point. We had, I mean, we were together forever. We had everyone as our coach at one point. Uh, but Will was our coach at one point, and I was asking... I asked him a question about like um, a possible analogous second beat for some scene, and he was like, "Yeah, he was like that would work." He was like, "But don't do anything to be like the textbook, like be like or like a student of the game." He's like, "Don't feel so attached to game that you're like, well, we've run it out on this like I think it was like a fun like witchy scene," and mm -hmm. he's like, "Don't change the whole scenario so that you can play that game again in another way." If really like that witch was just so fun, like just go do the fun thing again. We want to like, see that. Yeah, yeah, like give yourself that permission in that room. And that was something that was really helpful because it was like, right, like just do the most fun thing. And I think that also helps you look at things um, as in terms of the show as a whole. Mm -hmm. So if I was like, oh, okay, well, game wise, maybe we blew that out. So now we'll put it, we'll go analogous because we blew out that first one. But show wise, like, I, why would we ever get rid of that amazing character? You know, so like, let's go put that character somewhere else and right. like blow out their character game, you know? So it was, um, it was really helpful, like, to get a fuller picture like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And abandon the right and wrong thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because, yeah, because that fear of wrong 
makes people walk so tentative, tentatively that yeah. it's not very fun to watch. That's why I'm always like, lightness is so lovely in life and it's just the worst in improv. Yeah. And that was something I feel really lucky because before I knew what I was doing, I would jump out mm-hmm. in scenes because I think, so Owen Burke and Will Hines were my first teachers. Um, and I signed up for an Owen Burke class and Will took over. And then, uh, and then I took two of them with Owen Burke. And I, it was really helpful because they both stressed so much of just like jump on the grenade, fall on the sword, like get out there. And everything was about supporting your scene partner and treating their ideas like they were a genius. Um, and so this idea of game and right and wrong like followed that bedrock and so it was kind of good because they were very big on like never leave an empty stage never you know it was just like you keep that show moving and you get you fill the space and you yes and and like as long as you're yes anding you can't do anything wrong and so it was really helpful because I don't think I had that sort of head struggle that a lot right. of people do in the beginning anyway. Because you were al- already making the steps to play game naturally right. so that it just kind of happened as a result of these other things rather yeah. than am I playing game and I'm, am I accentuating the fun thing? You yeah. were just like, hey, this fun thing's happening. Let's all get out and do it. Yeah. And I think because they were so big on like get out there, just go and take care of each other, there wasn't room for polite. They were like very good at being like, you can't be polite. Yeah. Like, you have to get out there. And so whether it was a good scene or a bad scene, it, everybody was like that I got your back feeling was mm-hmm. there immediately. And I think that's like the politeness thing. It takes away from I got your back. You can't yeah. get somebody's back if you're worried about doing the right thing. You yeah. Know? And the people who are most worried about stepping out often seem to have that like, because I do this a lot of like, am I railroading this whole show? Is this whole show fucking just become Curtis all the time? <laughs> but I think especially from watching other people who worry about that, the people who worry about that are generally not the people who do that. Yeah. If and you're if, worried you're in the show too much, you're probably not being like, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> and then so everybody's so worried about that that they just don't. Yeah. They don't jump on those grenades. Finally, here's Achilles Stamadalaki. We've been talking about UCB 201 improv classes, which is where you first learned game. What pitfalls do you think people fall into, at least at that level, when they're first learning it? So, I mean, one, you mentioned, like, okay, so they're already, like, on that basic agreement level. What kind of pitfalls do they still fall um, into? I think the the main pitfall is trying to win the funny thing or mm-hmm. win the game uh, when they do find it. Because a lot of game is, like, arguing well, mm-hmm. uh, especially if it's, like, straight man, crazy man, voice of reason versus unusual person mm-hmm. in uh, the scene. So I feel like that's a huge thing that you just have to kind of nudge them away from is this idea of your side doesn't need to, by the end of the scene, convince the other person to not do the weird funny thing anymore. And it should be, Oh, you need to set that person up to keep doing that thing. And I think that's a, that's, I think the biggest thing about playing game in general is this tendency to try to argue and win. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other thing too is sometimes when you do find like kind of a nice groove in the scene of like, oh, I think this is the unusual thing or people in the scene have both agreed on what it is. Mm -hmm. There's sometimes a tendency to list the the game moves and kind of just talk about like, oh, and then we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Remember when we did this? Uh, We're going to do this now. It speaks to, I think, like the people in the scene have an idea of what it is, but then it's just a matter of kind of playing it actively uh, yeah rather than scene. writing that scene of this is what it's going to be yeah, okay yeah. yep we did that thing oh I, I hope you don't do this thing later yeah 
And I think like writing is also like a good kind of word to, to use about it because game is so much about writing on mm-hmm. your feet and the, the quote unquote writer improvisers in, which I, I totally am, um, the writer improvisers in the class often will be like, oh my God, I got it. I got what the, the list of this thing yeah. is. So they'll just try to list it off. And I also think the more actory people also grab onto that because they see it as a pattern that mm-hmm. they're, they're doing in, um, in the scene. So to me, it's not the worst thing because they're actually of the same mind yeah. of what the, the game is. But sometimes they, get, they do get locked into like, well, let me list all the bullet points that right. would happen in this scene rather than just playing it. What are your favorite types of games? Oh, in, in, in scenes that I'm in? Yeah. I think with, with the teams that I'm on, I generally tend to be the person who's passing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm the person who's like, oh, let me gift my scene partner with the unusual mm-hmm. thing. Because the teams that I do play with tend to be, for lack of a better term, like, funnier than I am. <laughs> right. Like, uh, like I, the other thing with game is the game allows me to stay on the same court with yeah. everybody else on stage. Like, I'm, ne- I'm never going to be as funny as, like, Eddie Dunn. But the fact that I have an ability to play game in the scene helps me compete or right. like, yeah, stay yeah. in the same level with him. But, yeah, I think that the, my favorite types of scenes are when I'm kind of, like, alley-ooping the other person mm-hmm. to help kind of play their uh, thing or if I'm facilitating things um, in the scene. That's that's what I like to be in. But I also, you know, enjoy being the unusual character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think I gravitate towards, here, let me set you up, yeah. and then you'll, you'll kill it while I stay right. on stage with you, you know? What are some of the other things that you learned as you went team by team? Like, what are the, like, what are the skills that you feel like you developed as, like, as you moved to each team? I, I, I just got more comfortable with game, I think. Mm-hmm. That was... Because obviously, you know, by the time you get on a team, you know game. Yeah. But then, like back then, I, I, I feel like I was like almost compared to now where I'm very engaged with like all the different components of the scene. Right. Back then, I was just like kind of winging it. Like I was just, I was just like kind of relying on, okay, well, my scene partner did that, so I'm going to do this. Now. It was almost this. Right. The, the least intellectualized version mm-hmm. of of playing game. But the more, you know, you're doing it, the more you're on stage, the more you're seeing and hearing different perspectives from different coaches and, and stuff. It helped me define game in a way to myself that I could actually apply in, in scene work. You because know? you were able to pick and choose of, oh, Charlie mentioned it like this. I can steal that thing. Oh, yes. this thing, this note, particular note hit me in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the, the different ways different coaches would refer to the same thing mm-hmm. helped me be like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's a different perspective. I can look at this idea that I thought I knew everything about, right. but is actually like, oh, you, you can think about it this way. Like I remember like um, labeling was not really a term that was used. Yeah. Labeling or framing wasn't really a term that was used like when I was taking mm-hmm. uh, classes. Um, the, the, the more general term was like react, react to it, which is I think obviously important, but not as specific a yeah. term as labeling. And I remember on my second team, Anthony King was our coach for a while. And he was like, yeah, you guys need to label the game. You guys need to say what the funny thing is in the scene. And I was like, oh, right, you can do that. And it, like, it was a kind of a moment for me that was like, oh, 
this makes it so much easier if yeah. I just define what the weird thing is in the scene. And it, it, the type of player I am, that just added to like what I was good at already, right. which was, yeah, kind of like being heady about this in the first place. Yeah. It's It's funny how many of these things that we now take for granted as basic... Like either we just didn't have for a while or didn't exist for so long or uh, weren't in the kind of like overall conversation. Yeah. Like I remember reading the word framing in the manual and it's like, yes, that's what I've been trying to say. Yes. That's the way to say it. That's yes. what I've been trying to get like that. And it made sense to me instantly. of, Oh, OK, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And I think that's what like Del Close and the UCB have done so well. Like Del Close was like kind of the first person who helped define these like big improv mm-hmm. concepts in a way that was like, oh, that makes sense the way you're you're telling it. It's not just like, okay, so yeah, let's let's improvise. Right. We'll let, you know, it's it was beyond yes and. It was bigger, applicable uh, things. And then UCB took it to a whole nother level with like, here's what the game of the scene is and here are the components of that right. uh, thing. It's almost like Del Close was the person who invented the car or something. Right. And then the UCB was like, oh, here's the engine that goes yeah. in the car. Like, and here are all the different types of yeah. components of the uh, engine. Here's like, if you press this pedal, like it'll make the engine, you know? Or it um, feels like music. Like, oh, he wrote a song and then the UCB yeah. were like, okay, but it's in this time signature. This is the yeah. key. These, these are, it's a one, four, five. These are the thing or whatever. Yeah. I think maybe what we're getting at too is like Del Close was the person who... Who created music yeah. or, or helped... He was the Freud. Yeah, he, he defined music and then UCB helped create the theory of sure. music. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, oh, you, we have musical notation now. Like, the music has always existed. Right. But now we can, like, write it down so other people can do it. Right. And other people can, can uh, play it. And it is, yeah, it is weird to kind of go through your entire improv life and be like, yeah, we're learning this, we're learning this. Oh, shit, there's a new... <laughs> yeah. There's a new perspective on this. And not even a new perspective, just like, oh, I haven't heard this, you know? Thinking of it yeah. like theory is uh feels very true also in terms of okay first off obviously everybody has their own perspective on it right but also that oh this is a possible underlying pattern it may be a pattern below what you're currently capable of working with on the fly right. like like with music like okay great you're still working on basic chords you don't need to be thinking about every variation of every scale or something like right. that right but it's there and we're still delving deeper into, okay, now once you see this theory, maybe there's another thing that either supplements that or that is another way of yeah. layering on top and of I that. And I think it, to, to carry this analogy even further, yeah. it's like you discover that the earth goes around the sun and mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, the earth goes around the sun. And then the UCB basically are like, oh, there's math to that. That was Achilles Stamatolaki. Now Achilles mentioned getting those different perspectives, which is basically what I want with this podcast. It's limited because I mostly interviewed people whom I talk to about improv a lot, but taking classes and getting different people to coach you is invaluable. Have a regular coach for six months, a year to really watch you grow and help you long-term, but also hear those other voices through classes or other practice groups, etc. That's it for episode two. Establish your base reality. Take things from real life and let them infuse your scenes so you have something to return to when you're not just playing the game. A cake can't be all frosting. You can't just make game move, game move, game move. You can email me at improv at curtisrutherford.com. That's C-U-R-T-I-S-R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D. You can also find and rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks to everyone who was part of this episode. Alex Dixon. Hi, Lydia Hensler. Uh, Sebastian Canelli, Devin Ritchie, 
I am Chris Scott. Lou Gonzalez. I am Achilles Stamatolaki. And I'm Curtis Rutherford. <laughs>